Morning, officers. What y'all, the second team? We're the first team. Yeah. We're not gonna fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not gonna fall for the banana in the tailpipe? <laughs> it should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. See, that's more natural for us. You've been hanging out with this dude too long. Hello, and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And so I have a question for you. Oh, right off of that. Okay. Have you, <laughs> have you ever fallen for the banana in the tailpipe? No. You have not? No. Okay. I... <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, I I feel I felt really certain the first time I answered, and then when you're like, you haven't. I feel like you'd know. <laughs> I feel like I'd know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Thankfully, because it it seems like it's a real problem <laughs> when you when I mean, you don't realize it. It seemed all too easy in this week's movie, Beverly Hills Cop, <laughs> to slip a banana in the tailpipe of a police vehicle and then just take off. Which. Okay, so, like, when the waiter was bringing out the food to them, the fact that he just immediately was like, yeah, cool, when Axel, like, kind of winks at him, like, it was, I mean, he was really, like, with it very quickly, like, to be like, oh, you're going to, like, kind of essentially fuck over these guys' cars? Cool, whatever. So the three things that I noticed (laughs) was that uh, Eddie Murphy had some pretty impressive foot speed as he was uh, moving across the street. Yes. Noticed that. Uh, the wink, not only the fact that the that the hotel employee knew Freddy, immediately. Freddie from Karate, Karate Kid. Kid. He knew immediately what was going on. He was very familiar with Banana the Tailpipe. It's like, have you done this before for other guests? He, he must have. <laughs> but then also these detectives who were already fooled with the uh, delivery of the food in the first place somehow didn't notice him winking back at someone right behind their car. That really, that really irritated you when we were watching it because you... You have brought that up. It's pretty obvious. Pretty <laughs> obvious wink. I just assumed that they were distracted with actually looking over the food. And Judge Reinhold would have been, he was closer to the yeah. waiter. And so if anybody was going to notice it, it would be him. But he was very much interested in the food that was being served. Yeah. So that's why I was like, well, I get why they didn't notice it. There's a lot of interesting things about that scene and this movie. And the whole rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> because in the same movie that we get this ridiculous banana in the tailpipe scene, we also some see someone brutally murdered execution style. Yes. Okay. So let's, let's get into it. <laughs> let's get into it. So Beverly Hills Cop, 1984. So right there in the middle. Um, so written by. Well, I see you waving your hand. We're one year off from 85. So I, I think that qual- I think that qualifies as being in the middle of the decade. Yeah. We're not talking 81 or 89. No. So, okay. All right. So we have two writing credits for this one. The first is like a story by, and apparently the gentleman who I think probably was like the, the original screenwriter on this uh, wrote this, like had the script completed like in the late 70s. So this script was like getting kicked around for quite a while. I'm not surprised in the in the slightest because the story kind of exists as a mechanism for Eddie Murphy to make jokes. So you needed yeah. like the right the right setup and cast for this to make any sense at all. And I mean, we're kind of like already kind of diverting away, but it's it's worth mentioning that from what I read, this wasn't set up as a Eddie Murphy vehicle. Hmm. It was actually you want to know who it was intended for? Yeah. 
Do you have Do you have any guesses? No. Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> yeah. And that... Jenny, Jenny, I think, was supposed to actually be a love interest to him. Basically, what ended up happening again, grain of salt with these stories. But um, and I think he actually made the right call. Stallone was like, I don't think people are going to buy me as like a fish out of water type cop. And so that's no. why that's in part, at least maybe there are other things going on. But like, that's what I read as the reason why he walked. I've seen him chasing a chicken in Rocky, too. So I think he could have come pretty close to that foot speed for the banana tailpipe. <laughs> so, OK, so I haven't even mentioned this this gentleman's name. I want to say it's Danilo. Danilo Bach. So he has a story by credit. This was his very first credit. Okay. And not like a huge repertoire of screenwriting credits. Um, the other film that like probably at some point we'll do around Halloween, he has a screenwriting credit for April Fool's Day. So oh. that will probably come up at some point. And then he has credits for Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3 because of the characters that he created from the original Okay. So, so three is like a whole nother universe. I honestly don't think I've ever seen it. So I'm sure I've, I've heard seen. It's not great. And I also heard that it ha- doesn't have like humor to it, that it's like more of a straight kind of cop procedural type movie. Am I correct? I, I've heard the same thing. Okay. And it's strange because like a lot of these movies, like Beverly Hills Cop and like the 48 hour movies yeah. with Nick Nolte. They seemed like kind of um, opposite sides of like the same coin being like the buddy cop type of movie. But I always thought that the Beverly Hills cop movies were the more lighthearted comedies. And 48 Hours, like at least in my memory, was always like a little bit grittier. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's just because Nick Nolte Mm -hmm. just looks like he's been beaten down in every scene that he's in. Well, I mean, this movie has its fair amount of grit, as you mentioned. Yes, it yeah, does. which like I I mean, it had been a minute since I'd seen this movie. I really wasn't remembering a lot. No. So <laughs> when that first first death occurred, that was that was shocking. I and that's something that is interesting as far as like how this film plays out tonally, because you have really dark, serious moments, and then you have these like obvious hugely comedic moments because of Murphy. And then you have this like weird kind of mashup, like at the end in the final shootout where like the musical score that's going along with like this, like shootout where multiple people are getting killed is like kind of lighthearted. And like, it is, it's it's a weird mix, but okay. So let's, let's keep, we'll, we'll get there. Let's keep moving. (laughs) So we're only one credit in. Okay. So the other writing credit Goes to Daniel, I want to say it's Petri, Petri Jr. And actually, we've seen him in person. Uh, So he is a screenwriter, but he's also mainly a producer. And for a while, he was uh, the president of the WGA. Oh. And we've actually been to a couple functions for the foundation where he was, like, speaking. Okay. So I don't know if you remember that, but I do. Anyway, uh, so, yes, he has a screenplay and story by credit. Uh, This also was his first credit. So this was, like, at the beginning of his career. Hmm. Some of his other, so I mentioned he's a producer, but strictly screenwriting. Some of his credits are The Big Easy. Okay. He, like Bach, has credit for Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3, again, because of the characters created. Shoot to Kill, Turner and Hooch, Toy Soldiers. And then, apparently, 
I mean, we'll see how far this goes. But a Beverly Hills Cop 4 has been announced mm. that he is attached to. Okay. Like I was talking about in our very last episode, though, very irritating to me mm. that for Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3, they use Roman numerals to indicate the fact that they're sequels. Okay. Whereas as of right now, Beverly Hills Cop 4 is just the number four. Well, you know, my preferred stance on this is to write it out and then in parentheses <laughs> put the numeral. Just stay consistent, people. Okay, moving on to the director, Martin Brest. So this guy, interesting career. Um, not like a ton of directing credits, but some are quite notable. Is there anything I would recognize? Absolutely. Okay, they're so, all they're all like pretty critically acclaimed, great movies too. Uh, um, that's why I said very interesting career. Okay. So some of his earlier work, Hot Tomorrows, and Going in Style. Is that all one title? No. Oh, because that <laughs> that could work. Could work. Then we do have a, a more notable film, which maybe at some point we'll actually get to, Midnight Run. That that was kind of an underrated movie. That's that's not a yeah. bad. Yeah, uh, Charles Grodin just. Recently yeah. passed. Yeah, that was kind of a fun film. Yeah. Okay, so here's here is probably the pinnacle of his like acclaimed type work, Scent of a Woman. And he got two Oscar nominations for it. Hooah. He got Best Director. Okay. And then he must have been among the producers because he also has a nom for Best Picture. So Do you think like at every juncture of that filmmaking process, he just told uh Pacino like make it a little more. <laughs> Possibly. Just a little more. I mean, I don't know if at that point in his career, Pacino's like, I'm just going to Pacino. Like, he's just going to do what he does. Like, when was but that, that in terms of, like, Heat? When did Heat come out? 95. Versus, okay. So, Scent of a Woman precedes that film by three years. So, like he said in Scent of a Woman, he was literally just getting warmed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Scent of a Woman. Okay. Then, several years later, we have Meet Joe Black. Okay. That, and, uh, that was okay. Um... Yes, saw it. Uh, a very <laughs> kind of restrained... It has a really interesting tone to it. What if the most handsome man on the planet was actually death? Meet Joe Black. And because he's death, like, it's just... Brad Pitt is a really actually great character actor. Everybody thinks of him as, like, kind of a leading man. But he's a great character actor. He is, yeah. And in this film... He, I feel, I mean, it makes sense for what the character is, because like you said, he's actually death, mm -hmm. but he, he has this like really, really restrained performance that I don't think works for him. Yeah. It, I like, I was like, come on, like, let's, uh, anyway, too much, too much me, Joe Black. So talk. what else has, uh, <laughs> well, has this guy done? Well, here's the thing, which I yeah. feel kind of bad about his last directing credit. I mean, he's still with us, but his last directing credit is Julie. I'm sorry, what? Is, I, I think that's how you say it. Julie. No, no, G I think that's how you say yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not giggly. It's not giggly. <laughs> well, I and, mean. I mean, I feel like probably most people are familiar with like why we are talking about this film in this way. It was just a huge bust. And it did actually, not go well. Was it, it actually in a weird way is super timely. This is going to totally date this episode if somebody's listening to it like, a couple years down the road, probably. But this film had 
Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez in it because at the time they were dating. Yeah. We're talking like I want to say 2003-ish time. And we are now in 2021. They are dating again. Well, look, if anyone So maybe is we're going to get a Geely too. <laughs> if anyone listening right now is from 2023, <laughs> give us a shout out. Let us Let know us how know everything's going. Happening. Yeah. So... I don't know. I mean, it, it's because and it's weird because like there's so many films out there that don't particularly perform well, but this one really has gained a reputation as being just like this huge joke yeah. of a film. I don't really know. Like, look, I'll be honest. I haven't watched it. So I don't know if it's really just like so bad that that's warranted, but it's. I think I will watch. I've I've never seen it either, but now yeah. I think I'm kind of motivated to give it a chance. It has this status and. I have no idea if the performance of it or lack thereof has contributed to why Rust has not moved onto another project. Mm. But anyway, okay, so let's move on to uh, the DP. Let's move on to the cinematographer on this film. Okay. So a gentleman by the name of Bruce, I'm going to say Surtees. I think, I think that's accurate. Um, I believe you. In, really interesting and broad and, and you know, long career uh, with some really he, – he especially had, I think, a fun fun 80s. So, okay, started his career back with Dirty Harry. This guy is deep into Clint Eastwood movies. He's done, yeah. he's done a ton of them. Yeah, I don't know if I have them all listed here. Because I just, the Beguiled and Play Misty for me are also both Clint Eastwood movies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I figured you were going to know more about that than me. Um, but we have Dirty Harry. Mm -hmm. We have Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Is I, he in that? No, he's not okay. in that. That's I'm. Well, I don't even know if Charlton Heston is that. They did all these oh, other. Oh, my apologies. I don't know why I was conflating the two. No, they, they they did all these like sequels to the Charlton Heston Planet of the Apes, which were kind of weird. There was like a telepathic society of humans living underground, fleeing from the apes. It wow, got real okay. weird. Okay. Um, Moving on. He gets his one Oscar nomination for Best Cinematography for the film, Money. Hmm. We have the Outlaw Josie Wales. Outlaw Josie Wales, based in the book Gone to Texas, and also High Plains Drifter and Joe Kidd, also both Clint Eastwood westerns. Okay. Yeah. Escape from Alcatraz. Clint Eastwood. And Wow, okay. Yeah. And then, well, this definitely doesn't have Clint Eastwood in it. Risky Business. He's in there, but you gotta... <laughs> Just brief cameo. Yeah, I think he, he like sold an egg to someone or something. Oh, okay. Risky Business, Psycho 3, mm. License to Drive, The Crush, Karina Karina, just a little harmless sex. He <laughs> later in his career does like a lot of uh, TV movies. And then his final credit was a film by the name of Joshua. Not oh. familiar with it, but. Two more. Uh Clint Eastwood movies that you may be <laughs> less familiar with that uh, Pale Rider and Tightrope I think and sudden and so he just yeah it's that's really standing out to me just how many Eastwood movies he my guess is that Eastwood liked him oh yeah I doubt he did not like him so I must I'm, have liked him I am not familiar enough with any of those films to know who else was involved but if the common link is Clint Eastwood then my guess is that Clint Eastwood had enough sway to say hey this is the guy I want shooting this film yeah so yeah my oh. guess just a guess but and also Firefox another one okay so many so many it's crazy I mean I'm just like not an Eastwood person um 
That's okay. Back to you, Anna. Okay, okay. (laughs) All right. So coming to the person who is arguably maybe even like on par as like, quote, the star of this movie besides Eddie Murphy. Because, okay, this film has just crazy iconic music. And that is what I'm getting at. So, okay. so the composer of this film, Harold Faltermeyer. Let me do that again. Wait, what? Fal- Faltermeyer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, just super, super iconic music. And what's interesting is that um, Beverly Hills Cop was only his third credit. So he was like pretty early in his career. Okay. Uh, and he, you know, has had a lot of so. You know, I'm guessing maybe we did talk about him, perhaps, but not as much as probably we should have, uh, because he is part of another film that we've already covered. So among his, like, 80s greatest hits, Fletch and Fletch Lives. Okay. So here's the film I was just referencing, Top Gun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Another film. And you can kind of, I think you can understand, like, there's a similarity between those two scores. I could see kind of how the same person would have created both. I could see that. Yeah. He is credited for Beverly Hills Cop 2. I mean, he loves why, the keyboard. why would you not use the same score? You know, like, it's just so, so good. The Running Man, Tango and Cash, Cop Out. And then he also is attached to another film that, no, this is far, far past announced staged. It's pretty much in the can, and they're just waiting for the right time to release it. Top Gun Maverick. Oh, yeah. That, I have high hopes for that. I do too. Yeah. I'm I'm actually really excited to watch it. So I don't, I didn't think to see if they've um, come out with a new release date. I mean, it was supposed to come out last year, July. Yeah, things are getting pushed now. Like some other, I know at, by the time that we've recorded this episode, Fast 9 will have launched a car into space, I think. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers um, for anyone who wasn't aware of that. But I know that some other movies that were coming out are getting pushed, and that might have an impact on, mm-hmm. on other movies. It's such, I mean, my guess, and maybe maybe this is all moot point because I just didn't think to check on the date, but it's such, such a summer movie. But I can't imagine that they'd want to push it to 2022. I feel like at this point, they're like, we got to get this movie out. So, yeah, because in 2022, you're going to have some dinosaurs to deal with. Oh, yeah. You know, like everything, everything is, there's this like cascading effect where everybody's trying to like get the right weekend. So I guess point being, I hope it comes out soon because I'm excited to see it. And then Faltermeyer also, like I mentioned, just worked on a ton of music videos or has worked on a ton of music videos, I should say. Hmm. So moving on to film editing. We have two individuals credited as the individuals who cut this film the first of which is author no i'm not saying that right arthur thank you okay i just guessed coburn oh okay got it yeah so among his credits we have the ballad of i I just i just really like the name of this movie the ballad of gregorio cortez that's glorious very lyrical yeah it is like it american me Mm -hmm. roosters the mask a Simple okay. Plan, For Love of the Game, which I always thought it was called For the Love of the Game, but I guess that's not the case. For It, it feels like there's a word missing. <laughs> yeah, it does, it does feel like it changes the meaning of that a little bit. Yeah. 
to me in, in ways that I can't really articulate right now. But yeah, it it just like I, I guess I was just wrong. And like I've seen the movie, but I just always thought it was for the love of the game. Do you mean that you've seen movie? <laughs> OK, we have the first Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire first Spider-Man. OK, the cooler under the Tuscan sun monster and crossing over. Hmm. Okay, and then the second gentleman, we have covered him, but he is an interesting fellow with, like, a very, very impressive career. So let's talk about him again. Billy Weber. So among his credits, and now I remember – I actually remember talking about him because – not just because of the episode that he was part of, but also because of his other affiliation. So his first credit, which is an uncredit – like, he's not credited for the work, but he was on it. Badlands, mm-hmm. which is Terrence Malick. And then we go directly to Days of Heaven, which is also Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick takes a 20-year break from filmmaking. And so, in the meantime, Billy Weber works on The Warriors. You mentioned this earlier, 48 Hours. Yeah, it's interesting that there's this, like, connection between the movies. Mm-hmm. But I guess it makes sense because there is, like, this kind of sameness to them, like they almost feel like they could like exist in like kind of similar Same world. but parallel universes. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. We come back to Top Gun. That's why he came up. Yeah. Uh, and he actually, I don't think I mentioned this during that episode. He he got an Oscar nomination for best editing for that film. He comes back for Beverly Hills Cop Two. He also cut Midnight Run, Days of Thunder. So he's done two Days of movies. Oh, you're right. Days yes. of Heaven, yes. Days of Thunder. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Grumpier old men. Then he reteams with Terrence Malick on his on Malick's first film in 20 years, The Thin Red Line, which I have. It's one of your favorites. Very much so. Yeah. It is. And he, he gets his second Oscar nomination, again, for Best Editing, which I feel is completely warranted. I mean, again, I know not an 80s film, but I do love this movie so much. It is absolutely stunningly beautiful. It also has just such a heartbreaking message in terms of like what war does to society. Mm-hmm. And given what I have learned about Malik and the fact that he just really loves shooting a ton of film, I can only imagine what Weber oh, and I think yeah. I think I said as much the yeah. last time. I can only imagine what Weber had to go through to create a narrative here's your five thousand hours of footage yeah to cut. and even that being that said well even that being said he, he i mean it's still like it's not really a linear a linear linear told film in the traditional sense and so it still has this like kind of dreamlike hypnotic quality to it which i think is very much in line with what malik wants uh, I just again, I cannot, I cannot praise that film more highly. It's just, it's beautiful and honest. And then, how do you think he felt going from that <laughs> to Geely? Wait a minute! I skipped a couple. I know. Do you know which one you skipped? Another one of the films that I love. Well, look, I didn't want to create this like um, the contrast. I wanted to create. Was I, between I know, I know what you were going for. I'm sorry that I ruined that a for critically- you. <laughs> A critically acclaimed, beloved movie, and then on the other side of that, Gigli. But, but between that, that we have Miss Congeniality, thank you. which is a super fun movie, but very different from The Thin Red Line. Could not be more different. And again, there's guns in both. Uh, sure, sure, sure. 
there you go. That's the common thread. Yeah. Um, love that movie. And then, yes, you're right. Uh, he also happened to be the editor on Julie. But <sighs> he kept it moving afterwards. Yeah. And I think we brought this up again the last time we spoke of him because he rebounds with Nacho Libre. I mean, what a rebound. That's amazing because yeah. that is an incredible movie. Good for him. It's great. He does. And then, you know, like... Uh, like most careers, like you get some hits and you get some not hits. He does the love guru. Oh, God damn it. He works again with Malik on Tria Life. Okay. And then more recent credits, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, and American Skin. Hmm. So, okay. So we are moving on to the stars of this film, several of which we actually have talked about. One thing I... Yeah, we have. I mean, really, the main players we've all talked we've talked about in previous episodes, and it's kind of the supporting cast that are new to us. Um, yeah, it's funny though because I was thinking about this as I was like prepping for the episode that almost inevitably every time I'm like, oh, we're going to be talking about so and so for the first time. I'm like, no, we're not. We've already, and it's wild because like we're only halfway through our second season, and you know, it's it's just interesting to see like. The actors who, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world that actors kind of have their prime at different points. And so we are talking about actors who have done a lot of 80s movies. You We're know? going to get to a point where this podcast is going to be an exercise in cross-referencing other episodes <laughs> of this podcast. So, of course, we are starting with Eddie Murphy, who plays Axel Foley. And, you know, we talked about him a couple months back in Trading Places. Yep. But this, and now, you know, the the stat I pulled is that this really was the launching pad for what became just a superstar career. Because this apparently was the first of SETI, seven, SETI, seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'm following. <laughs> of seven. Got it. Eddie Murphy films in a row to open at number one at the box office. Wow. Right. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Huge, 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 huge star. Trading Places preceded this by about two years. Uh, also read, and now we actually talked about this last year, I believe, uh, during our episode about Ghostbusters because I think there is a lot of information out there around mm. the fact that Eddie Murphy was going to be part of that film. Yeah. And this was the movie that prevented him from doing that. And you know what? At the end of the day, while I think he would have been amazing in Ghostbusters and really, really funny, and I definitely could kind of imagine a version of that film with him, that was very much an ensemble piece and he is the star here, and who's to say how – I mean, he's, he was going to be a star no matter what because he just has that much talent and charisma, but – That would have been tough, but then you also had Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. Right. So you already had, like, some pretty strong right. performances. Would it have been too much? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I I think, you know what? He he made the right choice to, to take this film on. I feel bad for Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Because – you know, we, we've talked about that when we talked about the movie, but he, he got shafted a little bit and yeah, I mean, I guess we'd have to go back to versions of the film that are out with like cutscenes and that sort of thing. Or I'm trying to remember if during our conversation about that, I don't know if things were cut actually at script stage 
rather than filming stage, but he definitely was told a different story of how he was going to be integrated into that film. And I don't know if if Murphy had been in that role, would it have been better, worse? Was he better off being in the movie even with what, you know, how how everything unfolded? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, but I, I, I do feel pretty confident they wouldn't have pulled that same shit on Murphy. Exactly. So, okay. So Eddie Murphy, I mean, most people probably, if, if they have kind of followed his career from the outset, they know him first from Saturday Night Live. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So he comes out of that world and then we've mentioned it a couple times already. I mean, he really is a huge film star, uh, not really a lot of television work to speak of outside of Saturday Night Live. Uh, and we have 48 Hours. He comes back for another 48 Hours. That's literally the title. Another 48 Hours. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like I said, we talked about him during Trading Places, which precedes this film. And then, yeah, he just has like an incredible run in the 80s. His most underrated performances, I think, in some ways are the voice work that he did yeah. in um in Mulan and even more in the Shrek movies. Oh, Donkey. very much so. Oh, yeah, great voice actor. Um and yeah, we're definitely going to get to a couple of those in a minute. So, we have The Golden Child. He comes back for Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3, but 3 I believe is early 90s, correct? I think so. Yeah. He does Coming to America, another huge, 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 huge film. Harlem Nights, Boomerang, which I really like. I really like Boomerang. I feel like that is a film that a lot of people don't think about. We're getting close to the kind of like the tail end of the glory days. Yeah. There's a he, little bit of a lull. He moves. And now I'm trying to remember if we had chatted about it. I don't know if at this point... Because he moves into more family fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, and maybe that's a he more did fair it for his it. family. Yeah. You know, maybe he wanted his kids to be able to watch his movies. When I say a lull, what I mean is that there were a lot of people that grew up watching him in from Saturday Night Live and the Beverly Hills Cop movies, where people really loved that style of comedy. Mm-hmm. And Raw. It just yeah, it just changed gears into something completely different. Mm-hmm. But there was still obviously an audience for that. Like people yeah. still really enjoyed like the Doolittle movies, yeah. the the Nutty Professor movies. Well, that's just it. So he does I'm Nutty Professor. Pro- You're your thunder. stealing my thunder, man. <laughs> this is this is like my job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nutty Professor, Doctor Doolittle, and Doctor Doolittle too. Life, which actually that kind of brings brings him back. He uh, does Martin that Lawrence. with Martin. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and that that did get a fair amount of. That was a good film. Attention is yeah. like a quality film. Yeah. Bowfinger, Shrek. Okay, so here you go. Uh, just incredible, incredible run with Shrek, Shrek 2, Shrek the 3rd, Shrek Forever After as Donkey, correct? Is that just the character's name? Donkey? Yeah. So he's amazing in that. He then, I think, more truly takes kind of a break. I don't know what were the circumstances around him deciding to not just be as much in the public eye. But then he kind of came back. In a big way with Dreamgirls. Uh, I believe he even was nominated for that, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, Dolomite is my name that was huge from just a couple years ago. Yeah, I don't know what impact Dreamgirls had on that, but Dolomite is my name is what I think of when, like, uh, 
that's that's a big part of him like coming back onto the screen. Absolutely. And then, uh, I mean, was it was it just over the holidays that yeah, coming so. to like number two, uh, America came out? So have not seen it yet. There's just a lot of time in between the two movies. Yeah. And so I think people wanted. I don't. I don't know what people wanted that to be because if it was too much like the first one, then that would be a problem. Obviously, there are going to be differences. Yeah. It's not going to be the exact same. I, I feel like it kind of kind of got a mixed reception, mm-hmm. but for the most part, people were just happy, especially like over this last holiday season mm-hmm. in like not a great part of the pandemic to have a familiar, like something yeah. comforting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's always the danger with this kind of stuff. And I mean, hello Maverick. Yeah. And we're going to add <laughs> ghostbusters. Afterlife. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we have a couple more on the horizon of sequels to much, much beloved eighties films that, you know, it's just when you're 30, almost 40 years removed from the original, and maybe some of the same yeah. players are involved, but... It's tough, because who are you making it for? Because exactly. the the audience that you might be wanting to hit doesn't really even know the original the way that you think they do, mm-hmm. and then the people that remember it, you're not going to please very, them no matter very what. Are very protective yeah. of that material. I know I am, so yeah. I... My guess is that, like, because I've seen, I've only seen trailers for both Maverick and Afterlife, and a trailer could be very misleading, so I'm not putting a huge amount of stock into either. And particularly the Ghostbusters trailers have not had much to show, mm-hmm. so it's really and tough. And totally, completely different yeah. than the original. Well, they're fighting, like, not only... All, all the things that we just talked about with respect to the first two movies, mm-hmm. but the the more recent one, the, like the reimagined version mm-hmm. of the Ghostbusters with Leslie Jones and mm-hmm. um, Kate McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Kristen Wiig. Yeah. Melissa so McCarthy. because of the like massive shit show that surrounded that mm-hmm. where people that that in my mind is one of the first movies that really just got like brigaded into mm-hmm not getting a sequel when like, was it a perfect movie? No, but it was a perfectly fun movie mm-hmm. to watch mm-hmm. and, it and it set up. It a actually sequel. was set up really well for a sequel. Yeah. So make the sequel, Sony, you cowards. I'd watch it. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I just did a quick check. So yes, Murphy's single Oscar nomination was for dream girls. I remember mm. there being a lot of talk around his performance in Dolomite where I think there was some disappointment that he was never nominated because I yes. think that people were really thinking that that would be the case, even winning it. Yeah. So that was a huge shock when he wasn't even nominated. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to Detective Billy Rosewood. What does that guy call him? Ro- Rosemont? Rosemont. Rosemont. Yeah. Uh, Judge Reinhold. And again, uh, a little bit further back, we talked about him about six months ago during our little holiday series of films uh, talking about Gremlins. That's right. He is in Gremlins. Mm-hmm. He's the the weird, creepy banker mm-hmm. guy who's like in it for kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah. So and and it's funny because like Phoebe Cates is also in that movie, and we've talked they... about both of them in another movie on a different. Yes, we have. Yeah. Yes, we have. So okay, so his career uh, starts out in Stripes, probably 
most, I'm going to say more people know him from, okay, so between Fast Times, Gremlins, and Beverly Hills Cop, I think most people know him from Fast Times. What do you think? I think so. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like that might be the case. So Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Gremlins, Ruthless People. That movie, also underrated. I agree. It's a fun movie. It's really fun. Yeah. But you know what? I'm saying that after having not seen it in decades. So if I watch it right now and I'm like completely horrified by what I see, I reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> he comes back for Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3. Among some of his other movies, vice versa, he is in what appears to be all of the Santa Claus movies. He's in Santa, the Santa Claus, the Santa Claus 2, the Santa Claus 3, the Escape Clause, which is actually, I think, kind of a clever, <laughs> I do clever like that subtitle. Title. Yeah. And here's what I appreciate about the Santa Claus movies. They are consistent with the way that they number the sequels. Good for them. Yeah, right? Uh, he is <laughs> in Puss in Boots. Which, oh, yeah. okay. So kind of a connection Another there. One of those is coming out at some point. Someday. Yes, that's very true. No Place Like Home, and then most recently, Bad Grandmas. Interesting. Yeah. So, and he's he's great in this film. I mean, he's he's really funny. One thing that I read that I really appreciated because sometimes, like like for instance, when we were talking about aliens, and we discussed kind of how much tension there was on set because of just things. Um, I won't get into it in this episode. But what I read about this is that it was a very, very lighthearted, fun set, probably because Eddie Murphy's Eddie Murphy and is constantly cracking jokes. And you even clocked it last night. when the, uh, who I suspect may be one of the next people we talk about, John Ashton as Mm -hmm. Sergeant Taggart is uh, kind of like pinching his nose, scrunching yes. his face up yes. while Eddie Murphy is giving his story on how they ended up in the strip. They call it the strip bar. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that was him trying to not laugh. Yeah. And, and they, they must have had like other takes. Uh, and they're like, and that was, that's like, that's the best we got. Yeah. Like, uh, which, it, yeah. And then like I was telling you, apparently Judge Reinhold would have to like pinch himself to physically pain himself to stop himself from laughing. So I really loved reading that, that it yeah. was like a good set. People seem to get along. I, I love reading those kinds of stories. And yes, you're absolutely right. The next person we're talking about is John Ashton. And, you know, a couple months ago, we brought him up for some kind of wonderful. Uh, I mean, he he's had a long and varied career among films that I think are a little bit more familiar. Well, first of all, earlier in his career, he was on the soap opera Dallas. Wow. So he was on that. Like I said, some kind of wonderful. He he comes back for Beverly Hills Cop 2. So oh, yeah. That. Yeah. She's having a baby. He has a, a pretty substantial role in Midnight Run. And yes, he does. He's like the bad. He's the baddie. He's the bad guy. Yeah. The bad uh, bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. And uh, more recently, Gone Baby Gone. But hmm. a lot of work just, I mean, that and actually, you know what? Now as we move into the supporting cast that we have not discussed before. One thing that you're going to see is that these people, maybe they don't have the splashiest roles in a film or television show, but they are working, working, working. I mean, he even played a role in King Kong lives where King, this is King Kong lives takes, takes place after the original King Kong, after he fell off the building And he lives, but sadly, King Kong is dealing with heart failure. 
Aww. Yeah, that's the plot of the movie. I kind of have a hard time because I, I actually really like King Kong and I hate seeing him. I think they make an artificial heart for him. Something weird happens in that movie. Really? Also, I had to check the timeline to make sure, but it looks like uh, there is no connection between because they lived in California in some kind of wonderful. I thought maybe he gets like a new career and he starts working out of the Beverly Hills Police Department, but Beverly Hills Cop comes out first. I think it actually makes more sense in that chronological order. He's over being a cop and he... No, I think he gets fired off the floor. I think that there is... There is a, cause like, you know, there's a huge lie told at the end and he goes on record as saying like, yes, that's exactly what happened. I think that eventually the truth comes out. He gets fired off the force and all he can find to do is sell tires. But then he gets back on the force for Beverly Hills Cop. There you go. All right. I'm glad that we figured that out. Cause he does play like his character has a lot of the same components where he kind of has this like kind of crotchety. Yeah side to him so okay so moving on to jenny summers who is played by lisa ilbacher yeah okay so another like i said another person who just has had a very long career so first of all let me just put it out there a ton of tv appearances cool just a ton uh, among other types of credits she's in the film the war between men and women hmm she was on the TV series, so recurring role, The Hardy Boys slash Nancy Drew Mysteries. What a great crossover. <laughs> yeah. She's in An Officer and a Gentleman. She's in the TV miniseries, The Winds of War, Never Say Die, Leviathan. Okay, that's good. She is in another TV series called Midnight Caller, and I don't think she's worked since after, I want to say, like, 95. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. She just decided, you know what? I'm going to enjoy my life in a different way now, but, uh, has had a very impressive career. Okay. So moving on to, would you, so what's his title? Lieutenant? Lieutenant Bogomil? Yeah. Yeah. What a name. Where were they pulled that from? (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, really interesting last name. Okay. So played by Ronnie Cox, this gentleman, he has 144 credits. So, again, these people are working, working, working. Samesies, a ton of TV appearances. And then among some of his other credits, Deliverance. Mm, Got comedy, that. family comedy. Yeah, exactly. He, again, had a recurring role. I feel like we've brought this up for somebody else. Apple's Way? For some reason. Apple's that Way. I clocked that. Yeah, I think we somebody else must have been on that that we talked about. But, okay. Uh, George Apple. That was his uh, character. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. there you go. Uh, some of his films, again, very robust 80s. Taps, Vision Quest. He also comes back for Beverly Hills Cop 2. He is in the next film we're about to talk about, RoboCop. He is. And one of the things I like about his character in Beverly Hills Cop is that he's he's a good guy and who almost sense a tension where he's like, he's so used to being a bad guy that he's like, I don't really, I'm not sure if I can be like a good guy, but I'm going to try. I like him as a good guy. Cause he's like a tough guy, but he's always on your side. Yeah. In RoboCop and in Total Recall, he is not on your side. Okay. So that's also coming up. Well, not, not, not in terms of like, we will, well, we can't do Total Recall. No, we can't. Yeah. But we, we are about to do RoboCop. We are. So he's also on the TV series, St. Elsewhere. 
He is in, I had to put this in, he's in Captain America. But, but yeah. <laughs> the 1990 Captain America. I am not familiar with that version. Neither am I. Yeah. Murder at 1600, Forces of Nature, and then a couple mm. more recent TV series, Stargate SG-1, and The Sturder Wife. Hmm. So, Okay, moving on to the baddie in this film, Victor Maitland, who is played by Stephen Burkoff. Same, 161 credits, workhorse, uh, among some of his credits. And it seems like, at least from what I pulled, his earlier work was like very centric to film. And then later on, he has done and is continuing to do a lot of TV. Hmm. Uh, and I mean, he did, well, I guess I should say he has done a ton of TV appearances. So it's not like he just exclusively was doing film earlier in his career. But among some of his credits, Prehistoric Women, which I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah. Vendetta for the Saint. Okay. Nicholas and Alexandra. A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say something controversial and say, I didn't like that movie. I did not care for it. I, you know, it's not probably the best thing to do to write off a film before you've actually watched it. But it's I just, just feel like it's not a film that, like, I'm eager to I appreciate watch. the influence it has had sure. on, on movies and, sure. and cinema, but uh, not my thing. Barry Lyndon, Octopussy, yeah. Rambo, First Blood Part Two, Fair Game, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Which now, one? Uh, I didn't clock the date, but I'm guessing this is now later in his career. So I'm okay. guessing it's the one. Because there, those were originally from Sweden? Oh, I see what you're saying. But wouldn't they have had a different title? They were still the same because they were based off books. So it would have been the same okay, title probably. Well, but he was in one of them. He was in one of them. This one I put down because like, I think we're going to have to watch this movie. Strippers versus werewolves. Who wins? I don't know. But I was probably in the strippers. instantly intrigued by this film. <laughs> like I was like, whatever this is, I kind of want to watch it. So I'm definitely I, on board to give that a I'm shot. Gonna, I'm going to find that one. Okay. And like I mentioned TV series. So we have, Oh boy, the Bor Borgia Borgia. I remember when the show was on, but I'm not going to say it right. Okay. It's like set in the past famous family. Anyway, I mean, you might know how it's Borgia. Maybe it's just Borgia. Borgias. No, it's definitely not that. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not that. And then also Vikings. So, oh. all right. So it was the uh, American version of the Girl okay. with the Dragon Tattoo with uh, Daniel Craig. Thank you yeah. for. Uh, you had to track that down. That up. I know you. It's gonna weigh on you. <laughs> okay, so moving on to Jonathan Banks, who basically plays Maitland's like right-hand man i guess he's he doesn't even have a last name he's just zach but which is a weird name for him he does not look to me like a zach he is basically the hitman from um breaking bad y yeah but like, like 30 a, years earlier yeah a breaking yeah. bad sequel yeah and Prequel. uh sorry there there you go so we will we were that will kind of come towards the end of my little list of his credits, 176 credits. Like I said, there's a very much theme here. These people are just always working. So among his uh, projects, Coming Home, Airplane, he's in 48 Hours. Really? He was in Airplane? 
he has a credit for it. That's amazing. But there's a lot of people in that movie. So it could have been just blanking you miss him. He is also in Gremlins. And I don't really... Did we talk about him? Oh, yes, we did. Did we? We did, yeah. He was one of the one of the cops, I think, one of the deputies who just... Uh, they, don't, they don't help much. Okay. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. I do remember clocking that when we watched it. Okay. So then he does a series of TV series. He's on Falcon Crust. Wow. Wise Guy. Okay. And Fired Up. He, I didn't even know that this was a movie. He is in Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. That was the second one, I think, right? That was just the second one? I thought it no, was. No, this, this much comes much later. Okay. I believe. Rain Over Me. And then, like you said, I'm going to guess that most people are familiar with him for Breaking Bad. Yeah. He's, he's in Better Call Saul as well, right? Yes. So. That is like the most recent credit I have for him. But uh, Breaking Bad, he was on Community. The TV series, Horrible Bosses 2, and then one of his more recent films is Mudbound. But yes, between Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He's had an amazing career. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's much later in his career. So good on him. Okay. So moving on to just a couple people who are, you know, very quickly in the film, but some of them have pretty memorable uh, parts. So first of which, Bronson Pinchot. Mm-hmm. Who Balki Bartokamas? Correct. In this film, he plays Serge. 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 Uh, his first credit was Risky Business. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember. Okay. And then he's in the Flamingo Kid, After Hours, and then okay. So yes, he is. Pro- I don't even know if it's worth saying. Probably, I think he's just known as Balki from Perfect Strangers. And and there's actually kind of like a similarity between Belky and his character here because it's like an accent you can't quite place. He's got the like I'm I'm not necessarily specifically from here sure. per my accent, and my accent is not going to identify where I could possibly be from, but I'm mostly a good I, guy. I wanna oh gosh, I don't 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 like quote me on this, but I wanna say that he does admit to coming from like a made up country in perfect strangers. I don't oh, think it's, yeah, I don't think it's yeah. always a mystery. It's just like a made up place. <laughs> no, in this, in Beverly Hills cop, you're like, I was trying to figure out like, what is that accent? I don't know. But, but like in perfect strangers also, doesn't he have like the catchphrase, like don't be ridiculous. He does. And then in this film, it's like, don't be stupid or something like that. Or yeah. he says, he says something over and over again, every time <laughs> Axel uh, uh, engages with him. So I feel like his performance here in some ways laid the foundation for Belky. He was really funny. Like I, I remembered him being in it. And when I saw him, like I was just mesmerized by the accent more than anything else. It was, it was really funny. Well, what was interesting is like on IMDb, it has perfect strangers, like the years, like 86 to 2006. And I was like, what? And I don't apparently, think that's right. Well, apparently I want to say they were attempting to reboot this show because there is like an unaired pilot. Oh, from two. And that's why they had to open okay. up to 2006 because technically it was created. Um, and I guess it never went, but yeah, you got 151 episodes. You did. Okay. You're fine. You know, let's move on. Uh, true. He's in true romance. He comes back for Beverly Hills cop three courage under fire. The first wives club. He also, uh, that TV series step by step. 
Okay. Yep. And then more recently, I don't know if you, I mean, I know you had kind of watched a couple episodes. I did watch the whole series. He has like a recurring role in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, okay. I don't know if I made it that far. Yeah. So he's in that as well. Okay. So moving on, this is uh, very early in the film. It's kind of unfortunate because he's a really good actor, but we just don't see him again. Paul Reiser. Burke. Burke. Otherwise known as Jeffrey in this film. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's always Burke for me from Aliens. He's always going to be Burke. And yes, we just very recently covered him. So I'm just going to fly through his credits really quick. Diner, first credit said aliens he comes back for Beverly hills cop 2 uh and then his big series my two dads i feel like he has more to do in beverly hills cop 2 yes yes one night at mccool's funny people he has his own show the paul riser show whiplash the little hours we watched a couple episodes of red oaks yeah uh stranger things mad about you his well yeah, I like just said my two dads. That was like his big earlier show. Big TV um, debut. Yeah. 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 And then, but Mad About You is probably the thing that people still know him most yeah. from. And then most recently, the Kaminsky method. Oh. So, okay. So just a couple little shout outs. Um, we actually already shouted him out, but Israel Warby. Double shout out. Double shout out. He is the room service waiter who comes out and gives the meals uh, to yeah. yeah from Karate Kid. Yes. So he is the kid who like kind of leaves Daniel high and dry. He's the guy who exists only to kind of tell Daniel like he moves the plot along in the yeah, movie. He, that's, that's that's about true. It. Like the first meeting between them, he he gets out a lot of exposition. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you just moved to Southern California here. Guess what? There's going to be a party in the beach. It's going to be pretty crazy. You should come along. Something crazy might happen. Pretty much abandons him. He's like overall kind of a dick, but he does have some interesting credits. Like he is not necessarily like huge roles, but Hey, every role counts overboard and decent proposal angels in the outfield, the net and boogie nights. There you go. Okay. And then lastly, now this is definitely a blink and you're going to miss him, but Damon Wayans I mean, I, I couldn't possibly miss him because without him, we have no banana to tell We by. have no banana. Yeah. Um, we have no bananas. What today. is he? Isn't that a song? Yeah. <laughs> uh, his credit is is what? Banana Man. Nice. And it is, it's his first credit. So this is, this is him just starting out. And it's actually really interesting because, like, he also is this, like, I, I would say very well-known comedic actor you know like like he is kind of like in the shadow of eddie murphy he just is coming up a couple years later he stole that scene so it's not surprising that that like that would provide kind of like a platform to launch yeah like he in his own right has become a huge huge figure so also was on saturday night live uh some of his roles earth girls are easy i'm gonna get you sucka which is with his brother that movie is just bananas kind of incredible uh the last boy scout and then probably where he like really really made his mark was in living color which again was with several of his siblings yes and then he had his long-standing uh series my wife and kids and then more recently the tv version of lethal weapon oh that's right yeah, yeah. which boy did that show have a, a had, had troubled some stuff past. going on yeah. behind the scenes so okay 
film synopsis. Mm-hmm. A freewheeling Detroit cop pursuing a murder investigation finds himself dealing with the very different culture of Beverly Hills. I mean, that's fine. That works. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. There's not really much more of a plot than that. No. I mean, that's something that, like, we kind of briefly talked about is, you know, this film really rides on just Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy. I mean, he steals every scene. There, yes, there is a plot for sure, but it's it's pretty straightforward in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, you know who the bad guy is. They're not even trying to disguise that possibly... He, he is so obviously the bad yeah. guy. Like, and there's no, like, well, maybe we're wrong about him. No, he's, no. <laughs> he's just the he bad totally guy did from, it. from the jump. Yeah. And, and so he's the bad guy. And then, you know, Axel has his one mission of, like, you know, kind of getting justice for his friend. And there's not really a lot of twists and turns that happen in the film. It's like pretty, pretty down the line. Like there's no twist. Yeah. Is like, there? I don't think no, there is. No. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to consider it a twist that the Beverly Hills cops helped him. Right. Yeah. We knew that was going to happen. We knew that he was going to catch this guy. You know that everything is pretty much going to work out, but you still have a fun time watching it. I mean, honestly, the thing that I was most intrigued by, which like, I wish that, okay. So between him, Jenny and Mikey, that was the, the friend, right? Mikey, is that his name? I think so. Yeah. They apparently all, she says at one point we all grew up together. Yeah. I am just like very curious. Like, I think that's like actually really cool. I feel like that is something that is the, like very different about this film where they're all just like childhood friends. Mm-hmm. And they all grew up to be very different people. You know, she moves to L.A. She's now like an art curator kind of. So she works in that field. Axel becomes this like, you know, rogue detective type figure. He's a cop that plays by his own rules. Exactly. And then Mikey, you know, he gets himself into trouble and is in prison. I, I thought that was also kind of interesting that Foley – you know, he's a cop. He's on arguably the right side of the law. But his best friend is somebody who is just released from prison. Well, it sounds like they they each kind of like ran together and got into trouble when sure. they were kids. Sure. But Mikey never ratted him out. He never had a record the way yeah. that Mikey did. So he was able to join mm-hmm. the police force and Mikey did not that to me is like the most interesting part of the movie there's a lot of stuff that happens before it actually before he ever Mm -hmm. like decides to drive his car that by the way would have never made it why he drove just i mean maybe because you couldn't get a gun on a plane i don't know but uh but i thought that was i was like you drove from detroit okay but uh yeah i mean the synopsis is is fine um <laughs> synopsis is fine it it yeah i mean because it, it it can't really do more than what it does because there's not really more story than yeah. what it alludes to it's so. already described everything that happens in the movie exactly so <laughs> uh as far as montage i mean we have a couple of them it, we it do. opens on a montage yeah. and, and it kind of does this like parallelism because it opens on a montage of detroit which I feel like I read somewhere, like, they just went out and shot, like, that was Detroit. Like, they went out and shot, you know, just real life in Detroit, but they didn't think to get permissions from all the people. So I think they had to, like, after the fact, 
um, try to make sure that they got the proper permissions to use the footage. Yeah, that's always the best way to shoot is to just shoot first. And How get, do you even track those people down? I that's why I always like kind of am like where this information come from. But um, so it opens on a montage, and then it mirrors that when Axel comes to L.A. Yeah, and then he's just driving down the street and he's looking at you know all the like. Rodeo Drive and all these fancy people and their fancy cars and all that kind of stuff. So like you kind of get both of like it's it's effective. It's, it's a contrast montage. Exactly. There you go. So so yeah. Outside of that, I mean, oh, you know what? One thing I did want to tell you that I thought was kind of fun is that so when he first comes into LA, that shirt he's wearing, yeah, that's like a real school. That, like, it's a real t-shirt. It's not okay. just something that's made up for the film. And so, you know, this film was, like, wildly popular. And apparently that school was just, like, bombarded with requests for the t-shirt, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. But it's, like, uh, what do they call it? Like, the hug of death when all of a sudden somebody gets, like, instant notoriety and they, like, cannot handle, <laughs> like, no handle that notoriety. I mean, this was well before the internet, so You're right. Yeah, I mean, it only would have been worse. But um, and I'm like, did they again? I'm like thinking, like, what permissions did they get? But it was the '80s. Fast and loose. Fast and loose. So, all right. So let's jump into our conversation with Inte. All right. And we are so very excited to have on our show today actor Inte Kim. Inte, thank you so much for joining us. My absolute pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Derek. Are, Hi, Anna. Hello. We, I mean, you're the best. We love you. We're so excited to have you on this oh. show. And we're so excited to talk about this particular movie with you because it's it's fun and there's a lot to it. It's a real mm-hmm. interesting movie. Yeah. It turns out. Yeah. So I hadn't seen it in quite a while and it was oh. it was a trip. Yeah, (laughs) that's a perfect way of putting it. So, okay, we're going to jump in. Mm -hmm. And first question, usual first question. Do you have a first memory of watching this movie? And if you do, what were your initial reactions to it? So uh, as I was watching it this past week, my dad came into the room and I, I, um, asked him if he remembered how old I was when we first watched it together, because he was the one who introduced it to me. Uh, he didn't quite remember how old I was, but mm-hmm. my first memory of the movie, I think, um, I, I, I can't remember what body swapping movie my brother and I had watched that oh. my dad came into, but he was like, no, we need to watch trading places. So okay. we watched trading places and then, uh, really liked really liked the Eddie Murphy character whose voice yeah. I recognized probably from Mulan. And okay. um, then even though we were, I, I know we were too young probably to watch Beverly Hills cop, <laughs> at least for my mom uh, in my mom's <laughs> eyes. And then, uh, but, but one night I, I think she was out with friends. We watched it with dad. <laughs> and Your dad sounds cool. <laughs> my, my dad. Uh, yeah. He liked to introduce us to the movies that he grew up with or that he really enjoyed even mm-hmm. when we were a bit young. So it was so, a, it was a cool part of our relationship. Would you say that he's an, is he like an Eddie Murphy fan? Because he mentioned trading places and then also got you and your brother to watch this one. I think so. I don't know that he's ever seen like raw and delirious, but <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, those are those are intense. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. but look, I think the the ratings the ratings mean that if it's PG, then if a parent says it's okay, then everything's fine. And then conversely, the R rating means if a parent or an adult says it's okay, then everything's fine. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, your parents know you. They know what you can handle. But one thing that you said that um and this was kind of going to be a follow-up question of mine. So, okay, obviously, like, we'll talk about everybody involved with the movie. Mm-hmm. But this is for sure an Eddie Murphy vehicle. The film that, while Trading Places did precede it and gave him notoriety, this just, like, projected him into, like, the stratosphere um, as, like, a superstar. And this film is 1984, you know, mm-hmm. so we're, like, 37 years on from it we're many years from it you (laughs) mentioned mulan so by the time you saw this movie like what was your idea of eddie murphy what what other kind of films had you seen of his at that point uh i believe by that point i knew him as just a ball of silly in the the sense that i think by that point i'd seen the nutty professor Mm -hmm. um I can't remember if to that point I'd seen the adventures of Pluto Nash yet. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> probably not on a lot of people's head. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No right. shame, uh, but <laughs> no shame, no shame. Um, but I, I don't think I, I, I don't know what my impression was mm-hmm. of Eddie Murphy other than he was a fant- he he was like Robin Williams to me at that point in the sense Okay. That yeah, no, was, I yeah. Uh, I never thought about that, but as far as like how quick they both were. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I totally yeah, I can see where you're making both of those kinds of like um similar energy. Yeah, similar energy for sure. And also that, and that's kind of like, I wasn't trying to be a leading question, but that's kind of what I was wondering about. If like Mm. maybe up to that point, you were more familiar with more of his like family fair type films. Like Delirious. I believe so, yeah. (laughs) Like, exactly. Like (laughs) Delirious. Um, and, And so I find that fascinating because so... Now you're watching this and, you know, kind of throw in trading places because there's a similar kind of humor and yeah. and like edginess um, to to the humor. Mm-hmm. So in watching this, did it give you kind of a new like, oh, like he has this side to him I didn't know or did it maybe just like not initially kind of, did you not initially clock it the first time you saw it? You just like had the movie wash over you. Like wh- did you, did it revise the way you looked at him? I think it was more the latter than the former in the mm-hmm. sense that I, I don't know that he was enough of a full entity to me to mm-hmm. be that much of a paradigm shift. Sure. Um, and yeah, I, I, I can't remember too much of my initial uh, impressions of Eddie from training. I'm sure there were so many things that right. flew over my head. Um, but I, 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 I just remember it being wild and fun and kind of like a, uh, cherished little secret in the sense that like, I, I knew there were some things that I shouldn't be watching. <laughs> 
some scenes, some moments that weren't meant for me. Well, yeah, let's talk about it because, uh, you know, like you, it had been a minute. I didn't realize how many cigarettes were in this movie. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) That opening. Yeah. Um, Lucky Strike, sponsored by Lucky Strike. It had been a minute, you know, since I had seen the movie. And that was one thing that I was like kind of remarking on because I guess just like in the time span since my last viewing, you know, I'm thinking of it as an Eddie Murphy film. I'm thinking of Eddie Murphy as he was in the 80s with, you know, again, just this like lightning speed humor, this ability to like improv. Um, you know, throwing around F-bombs, what, you know, like that kind of Eddie Murphy. And Profanity just, laden hilarity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, it's kind of an interesting first 10 minutes because you get first this like montage over credits just showing Detroit. Then you mm-hmm. have just this like beautiful city. <laughs> <laughs> Derek is right. He he can you you have an allowance to to make comments about. I mean, I was born there, but you know, I didn't really grow up there. But I I claim the dual citizenship. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Then you have this very small interlude where he's interacting with these other people, and you don't even really know who he is yet. Like you don't you don't know is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Like, are you supposed to just like take uh, at face value? Um, this interaction that he's involved in and then the cops show up. Then you have this like hijinks car chase. I'm yeah. The car, the car chase where it's like the obligatory, there's a big truck. Someone's in it getting tossed around. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to be okay. It'll all end soon enough. Yeah. But there were a lot of those in eighties movies. There were a oh, lot yeah. of car chases where they just had like a car chase budget. Right. And they had to make sure. <laughs> They had to make sure someone's getting like, tossed around in a truck. A little like in the in the contract for the film, yeah. like the car chasing. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so so I'm I'm building all this up because like you have this like very wacky, broad kind of humor moment. He goes to see his friend. Well, he mm-hmm. he like comes home and his friend has broken. And Mikey can be sure. Yeah. yeah, he almost shoots him. R- that right? true. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and and then so like what what would you say into like maybe we're fifteen minutes into the yeah. movie and then we have an execution style murder. Yes, it was dark. It was like uh, man, Mike from from Breaking Bad. Yes, Jonathan Banks. Yeah, he really like with hair. It was shot with hair. Yeah. <laughs> just the way that it was shot. It was like, guess what? We're not doing comedy anymore. I see what you did there. Yeah, so it, I mean, I did, when you just watched it this last time, was that something that you were like, you were ready for that? Because like, honestly, I I knew that the friend died. I know that that's like the the inciting incident for all of this. I didn't know they were going to make me feel the death that way. Yeah, I mean, how did you feel upon that moment in the most recent viewing? It was pretty jarring. It was, mm-hmm. it was honestly pretty jarring. And um yeah, I remember that the friend died as well, but I the execution style nature of it, I didn't quite remember and also mm-hmm. I didn't I I was reading I was reading up on the movie and some of the cast experiences and uh I think it was Judge Reinhold who said that James Russo's 
performance as Mikey and that moment of saying, I love you, which mm -hmm. I obviously didn't remember. It was such a touching mm -hmm. moment of male friendship. Uh, mm -hmm. To me, it was kind of a very surprising uh, moment in this time and this mm -hmm. place and this yeah. kind of movie uh, that, that I felt that it was even more jarring to, for that tenderness to be there and all of a sudden be taken away. Mm -hmm. No, really well said. And I totally agree with you. I think that that's, I was talking about this with Derek, the part of the film that I maybe remembered the least and was the most enthralled by mm. was that nature of the friendship. Like them talking at the pool hall. Or yeah. The bar. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember that at all. I mm -hmm. mean, and I wonder to what extent it, it matters that this is probably the first time I've watched it start to start to end unedited because mm -hmm. it's one of those movies that would be on like TBS or TNT right. mm -hmm. like all the time. And I'm sure that it's edited for content and for time. And so I wonder if they kept the same like death scene mm -hmm. on the TV version. Mm -hmm. So there's like a couple different things going on, but yeah, that, that moment in the bar was like really like more of a heartfelt type mm -hmm. of situation that I had expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, it was I, the amount of, the amount of vulnerability, I think, to, I mean, my brother remarked, he was sitting there watching it with me, that there was almost a Sam and Frodo mm. <laughs> tenderness. Um, mm -hmm. But I, for them to have that much, to, for them to be laughing and having that much shared history, and um, I, 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 even though there was, for me, a notable lack of blood, in the mm -hmm. execution style murder, it it still felt like really brutal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And, you know, they do a great job. I mean, like that was – okay, so that was probably my biggest takeaway from this last screening is just like really thinking about how the tone of the movie – moves in so many different directions between mm. broad comedy to to very serious, you know, dark drama to like like to emo you know, like you said, like I I love the word that you use, tenderness mm -hmm. between the two friends. And I would also say like intimacy. And I think that you're absolutely right. I I'm always really surprised to see you know, I don't know, maybe maybe in some ways I'm like not giving 80s movies enough credit, but I don't think of 80s movies as a time where like intimate, tender male friendships well, are depicted a lot. Am I, I wrong? I don't think of those words. I mean, we describe, have Brian's song, but yeah. that's the 70s. <laughs> I, right. I just don't think of those things to describe Beverly Hills Cop. Right. And mm. I don't know if there's just a general perception that there's kind of like, you know, it's a it's a mile wide and an inch deep as far as like mm -hmm. how how deep a lot of the 80s movies are mm -hmm. but seeing them after not having seen them in a really long time has uncovered this kind of like underappreciated mm -hmm. quality that some of them have mm -hmm. and like ultimately you know this movie ends in a wacky like ill-fitting gun like gun yeah, fight, yeah. guns sure, blazing yeah. with crazy. like with music. It's bananas. It does not match. Yeah, <laughs> the, the action. Like it ultimately is just like a buddy cop action movie. But there are these moments in the movie that I had forgotten and didn't expect and mm -hmm. was surprised by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that what the film does particularly well is, you know, we get we get very little of Mikey, um, but what we do get is very impactful. Right. And I think that, you know, a lot of credit that, again, I think it's kind of overlooked credit to the actors for mm-hmm. being able to depict that kind of intimacy in really quick order. Um, you know, credit to the director for being able to establish that. Because that all, again, sets up what the movie ends up being. Well, that's why he's so invested exactly. in, in finding this person. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. So The just, director who only chose to direct the movie because of a coin toss. I don't know if you guys... <laughs> I, yeah. I read that, too. That is wild. I mean, Martin Brust, is, he had, you know, an inter- I mean, I don't want to say had in past tense because, like, maybe, you know, but, you know, Derek and I were talking about, like, were you... Inte, were you aware of like like he went from like Beverly Hills Cop to like Scent of a Woman and gets an Oscar mm-hmm. nomination? Yep, I've looked at his filmography. Yeah. It's been a it's been an interesting career. It's been a ride. It's been a ride. Some gaps, some uh, perceived misfires, especially right. before right. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. So interesting, interesting career. Yeah, I mean it is it is interesting his his career. Um, you know, relatively like short filmography, um, mm-hmm. I would say comparatively, but I hope, I hope that he is, you know, out there and doing things that are fulfilling to him because like, it appears that Julie was like his last major directing project from what um, I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe and... he just has a very unlucky coin these days. <laughs> Excellent point. Excellent there are two point. sides to this coin. Yeah. One side <laughs> is Beverly Hills cop. The other side is, is Julie. Julie. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, I did really enjoy the opening. I mean, yes, the, the, the execution of Mikey, extremely jarring, but effective. Yeah, it was really, it was really good. Like, I don't want to, I want to give the impression that it wasn't well done. It was, it it was so effective. I think it's, it was very well done. It just was not expected. Right. Right. So, okay. So now we're getting Axel to, to actual Beverly Hills and I'm curious. Okay, so like he never would have made it there in that car. No, <laughs> in the Chevy I mean, Nova. Did you clock that? I mean, were you thinking at all? Like, why didn't the guy just fly there? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like I, I guess you know you want to have your own wheels, I suppose. But <laughs> they, already, um, they already set up that car as like a running joke and how sure. shitty it was sure. with it with it like starting up, which is a thing that I don't think people realize that like I've actually had friends with cars that would do that. Mm-hmm. So it, it like could be a thing, mm-hmm. but they had to get that car out to Beverly Hills just to enhance the contrast between exactly. him and Beverly Hills. Fish out of water. Fish out of water. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, yeah. was he going to like rent a, I, I don't know. I don't know what you would rent then. Uh, I was going to say Tercel? something you probably did. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So he gets out there and, you know, Mikey had already alluded to the fact that he had, worked in this, you know, art gallery, what have Mm -hmm. you. He tracks down his friend, Jenny. That was the other component that I was, again, very surprised by and really enjoyed was this, the the nature of these friendships, you know, these Mm. three people who grew up together. Um, And while they have all gone in wildly different directions with their lives, there is this like real love yeah. and, and, and like tenderness and, and, you know, 
caring between all three of them. Yeah. Um, it's the, I, to, to build off that. I mean, I was, I was surprised. I mean, how Axel spoke to Jenny when they first yeah. reconnected, but it was even, I mean, in spite of, because of the non PC nature of it, I, I, there was, it wasn't friendship out of a can. It wasn't mm-hmm. uh, the classic, like, Oh, these people are friends as we see in the script. Moment. Right. There was a real shared history there that I thought uh, really enhanced uh, the believability and the stakes of that friendship. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. Again, something that I just like don't think I ever really thought about in previous screenings of the movie that really hit home for me this time around. And just like really appreciate about the the film and and you know again going back to kind of like where this film goes tonally that moment like you said when he is talking to Jenny and he is you know explaining to her why he's out there and has to tell her the news of their mutual friend dying you know I know I know that Eddie Murphy has shown that he can do dramatic work I think. Um, you know, later in his career, like his Oscar nom for Dream Girls, mm-hmm. um, you know, he definitely has that side to him. But, you know, the fact that he could show that so very early in his career, like it's a small scene, but yeah. he does it really well. He does. Um, so I, I, I just, again, was like really impressed by like everything that he could do in this movie. That being said, I'm very curious. Like this is this is like what I was kind of leading towards is. So Victor Maitland. Mm-hmm. Was he a bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just curious because that was one thing I was, okay, so like, you know, as far as like plot, plot mm-hmm. of this movie, there is no question from like the second <laughs> you meet Victor Maitland that he is the baddie. Right. And so what, as a viewer, as somebody enjoying this movie, are you okay with the fact that like you're just immediately told at face value like this yeah this is the bad guy maybe he's being coy not admitting to any connection to mikey but we all know he does and like and and then the rest of the film is simply axel trying to get enough evidence to to show that he's the baddie like was that effective for you did you want more like red herrings did you want just more twists and turns to this part of the story um, in rewatching it, n- no, I was okay. I think okay. because the heart of the story for me was, um, I, it was, it was the fish out of water element and then mm. being curious, oh, will he be a vigilante? I, I was shocked actually. I didn't remember how, uh, how willing Bogomil was to eventually mm. um, come around yeah. to Axel's side of things. So to I, I was I was I had remembered it as more of a vigilante piece where he just recruits, uh, he just wins over Taggart and Rosewood after the strip club scene. So now that we're we're kind of like talking about these other characters in the film. Um, and it sounds like, like, cause like I do the same thing. Like I kind of just like do a little bit of a dive into whatever is available on IMDb, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically researching the film. And apparently like they did a lot of, um, improv. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you. They- <laughs> I did a lot of improv. And I'm curious because when, especially when we're speaking to somebody who is an actor, like, where do you fall on that spectrum? Like, do you, are you generally a person who likes to maybe have like a, like, the script in front of you and you work from that? Do you like to have the freedom to kind of play with the language? Have you worked with people who have a different sweet spot from you? And then how do you, how do you like work with them when you have different ways of, of performing? Hmm. Um, it definitely depends on the project. Okay. It definitely, de- it starts with the project. Um, and I guess what the aim of the project is. Mm. I, for me personally, I, I'm someone who only feels comfortable once he's done the homework of finding uh, what I call the givens. Mm. So I think there are certain clues that writers put in the scripts about who these characters are um, in terms of the skeleton of it. And then of course we, as uh the actors who eventually who are trying to get selected and hopefully after being selected, flesh these characters out a bit, we mm-hmm. fill it in with, you know, the, the, this, uh, the, the muscles and the blood and everything that we have. And then we put clothes on in, in, uh, on artistic sense. But I, I think I try and find all the givens, all the clues that are there mm-hmm. in the script mm-hmm. to, to really see if there's a, 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 a pre-existing spine there mm. that I can work okay. off of. And then from there, I try and be as free as I can. So I, I need that structure in order to find freedom. Mm-hmm. But okay. then in terms of whether or not to improv, I... It, it's always a feeling out process with the director. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone, if someone goes off script, I, I try and be as loose and relaxed and able to go off script as I can. I think I forget who was saying it, but there, I think it was Seth Rogen who was saying that working with all the people that he worked with on freaks and geeks, mm-hmm. um, he discovered that there are people that go off script to make a joke. And then there are people that go off script to tell a story. And mm-hmm. he really learned more from uh, the latter group than the former. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I feel like if I mean, the only times I've booked is when I find a hook into the character mm-hmm. that makes that person appeal to me. So I think the more that you lean into that hook and the more that you find a home in that hook, uh, the more able you are to play when other people invite you. I I don't really toss the ball that often, but if it's in the air, I'll, I'll volley it up. This is always my favorite when I get to ask these questions because I just love hearing the answers. <laughs> I need I need structure to find freedom is mm-hmm. like an amazing mm-hmm. amazing uh thought. I, yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I I thank you for sharing that because that cool. like I just love hearing that part of the process. Um I mean, I guess I'm assuming for this film that Eddie Murphy was the driving force as far as like the the 
improv part of it. Mm. I did read, I don't know if Inte, you had read the same that there were a lot of like, I don't know, it's probably not the best way to put it, but like kind of like dead spots in the script. And yeah, I mean, I heard that there were like at least six different drafts of the script that were all cobbled together. Yes, Hmm. exactly. Exactly. And so there were rough edges. And the way that Murphy dealt with that is that he just like kind of improved his way through Mm -hmm. those those rough edges. Um, I'm curious how. Okay, so like Derek brought up the scene where did you clock that in Tay where John Ashton is like basically trying to stop himself from laughing mm-hmm. the uh, uh the super cups one yeah yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which you know derek had a great point because he was like you know i'm assuming they did multiple takes and it's funny that that's the one they went with because like they must have just not been able to hold it together mm-hmm. um in other takes if that was like the best that they had i mean that was almost like watching an snl sketch yes! of uh the californians yeah where one of them's like <laughs> scrunching up their face yeah trying to, to crack up exactly but you know how do you feel about you know again besides like the improv i read that you know they did a lot of um kind of pairing up different actors to trying to see like what the be, specifically between Taggart and like the people who were going Rose, to play Taggart and Ro- yeah. Rosemont. The chemistry um, Rosemont. Um, <laughs> Roseweed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, came upon this uh, chemistry between Judge Reinhold and John Ashton. I mean, how do you feel about the chemistry between them? Do you feel like they were able to kind of like hold their own against Murphy? Did you, and Did you read the bit where in their, in their chemistry read, John Ashton, Judge Reinhold's uh, chemistry read that they were asked to improvise as with the given that they're an old middle-aged or a middle-aged married couple. Oh, I think I saw something like that. Yeah. And that the uh, five pounds of red meat in your (laughs) bowels was, uh, was an improvised line from that chemistry read. Oh, I I might have skimmed over that. I didn't realize that that was okay. I love that. (laughs) Well, you know what? That then makes me a little bit like, I don't know if I was like being super vocal about it, but like I kind of give a lot of credit to Murphy Mm -hmm. for, you know, his talent and, and just genius with improv. But, you know, Maybe I should give a little bit more credit also to <laughs> Reinhold and Ashton because I didn't, I did not clock that that was like a completely improv line that they then used in the film. And that, that was a really great line. Earlier in our conversation, Inte, you brought up Lieutenant Bogomel. Am I saying that right? Bogomel, yeah. I think. Yeah. The unnecessarily confusing sounding name. <laughs> Very interesting last name. Never heard right? it before in my life. Bogomel. Um, but uh, so played by Ronnie Cox. And yeah, so I'm very curious to know your opinion on this because like, okay, if we're being real, real, Axel would be in so much trouble yep. for <laughs> for everything that he did. And considering, I mean, like they really, he, uh, Bogomil makes a huge fuss about saying, you know, how much the Beverly Hills PD goes by the book and the mm-hmm. whole thing, which, you know, then sets up how at the end he completely lies and the whole yep. deal. So, like, it has its payoff. But, I mean, does it and, – and I'm not saying it should. I mean, it's a fun movie. It's an 80s movie. There are kind of different rules back then. But, like, did it bother you at all that, like, just so much is happening in the movie that just would not be happening 
as a cop from Detroit coming to Beverly Hills to, so to speak, avenge his friend's death. And the fact that the Beverly Hills PD eventually comes on board with it. The question is about the degree to which the audience is asked to suspend their disbelief. Yes. A lot. Uh, (laughs) 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 True, true, true. Um, I found it, I was, I, I, in rewatching it, I was more surprised by the lack of, um, well, the lack of, for better, lacking a better term, uh, uh, racist behavior towards accent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I thought, I, I, I guess I had assumed or I'd, I'd fill in the blank with some presumptions um, that the fish out of water element between the BHP day and uh, AXA would be more infused with mm-hmm. uh, biases against uh, where he's from, what he looks like. Uh, and I was pleasantly surprised that the, even this, even this very silver spoon police mm-hmm. captain didn't, uh, didn't define this person by that. Yeah. So I, yeah. I actually, I, I, I didn't really have a problem suspending my disbelief. Which is totally fair. It was, it was kind of like they, they definitely never overtly went in that direction at all. And and maybe the closest is when he's thrown out of the window right. of that building. Right. 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 Two super white blonde haired yeah. guys <laughs> come pick him up. Mm-hmm. But that I think, like you, you see that and that like might be one of your first thoughts is that this is there's this like racial component to it. But the way that they tried to portray it in the movie, at least, is, you know, like Victor had people just lie and say that you, you right. know, you came in here and caused all these problems mm-hmm. and jumped right. out of the window. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't it, it never really went in that direction. And right. like seeing all of the things that we have seen leading up to this movie and especially within the last, you know, most recent years, in some ways that was the biggest suspension mm-hmm. of, of disbelief <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah. And like there are some situations where Eddie, you would have been in real peril. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, I, I don't know how I, how I feel about it going that there is a part of me that appreciates it. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's, it's great that the fish out of water was really just about how he worked differently in mm-hmm. Detroit and how that that different police office like how they weren't by the book but that was supposed to be the biggest difference is mm-hmm. that in Beverly Hills they do it by the book right mm-hmm. right right according to Mr. Bogomol Bogomol Who knows Pokeball Do you remember Pokeball Everyone remembers Pokeball po- Pokeball but the thing that you used to jump on Oh Pogoball Pogoball oh, oh, okay. Did you have a Pogoball Inte? I did not. I did not. My friends did. I was very jealous. They were fun. I wish they'd bring those back. (laughs) In any case, um, you both bring up really excellent points. And Inte in particular, totally agree with you. I think that also that kind of pleasantly surprised uh, response also can extend to the nature of the relationship with Mikey, the nature of his relationship with Jenny. It's not 
No like, forced romance. Exa- with exactly, everything. exactly. And also just the fact that like they they all grew up together. There's no yeah. like questions asked about like how that would be the case just based on like racial differences. Like I I love that about the film. What I'm curious about is so Inte, had you read about that initially Sylvester Stallone? Yes. Was, okay. And that there were, uh, they also offered Mickey Rourke $400,000 as a holding fee as they rewrote it. Oh, wow. For I him to start. That. They considered Al Pacino and James Caan at one point. So all those names that you just listed. So what I find really interested is like, okay, so obviously they're all white men. Um, what? <laughs> and, and the fact that like, so script is being written or rewritten with some of these individuals in mind initially. Mm-hmm. And the fact that once Eddie Murphy signs on now, the truth of the matter is that there wouldn't have been that subtext had it been a white lead. Yeah. Right. It was never intended to be. There. Exactly. Yeah. What I really appreciate about the film is that there was no like, okay, well we got to go in and rewrite yeah. and infuse that into it. Like I, I actually appreciate exactly what both of you said that you know, yes, truly the fish out of water element is just that he comes from a different kind of um, policing culture and he has his own ways of, you know, getting at the truth. And um, and I just I don't know. I, I really think that that is one of the things that really makes this film stand out, especially for its time. The closest they get to like really anything like even addressing it is when he talks to the other, the other two cops, the replacement cops after sure. the banana. The top yes. Bite. Yes. And he's kind of like joking, poking fun exactly. with the other detective. Exactly. Right, right, that, right. That's, yeah. that's kind of it though. That was probably Murphy well, riffing. And when he got into the hotel. Right. When he, yes. Oh, with, uh, Dave, oh, 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 the Michael Jackson sitting on top of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we're not completely absolved of that, but, um, it, but it kept on, it kept on zagging where I, we, I guess we're programmed to think it might zig. Um, I mean, Martin Brest allowing Sir, apparently Serge was originally written as a pretty stock gay character who gets made fun of. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I was surprised to see. I mean, obviously this strip bar strip club is scene is what it is, but there wasn't. I didn't notice too many instances of uh, uh, the male gaze being sure. put upon. The women in the movie. Sure. I thought, like, for some reason in, like, my memory, I felt like the Sarge character was going to lean a lot more in that direction. And Mm so I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised that it was more about him just being kind of zany. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say that, like, and look, this is something that comes up with, like, really almost any film that we're talking about from the mm-hmm. 80s almost every single one of them yes yeah. truly um you know because there is the scene where murphy is trying to get direct access to maitland again in the restaurant and right, he right, right. puts on yes a very kind of flamboyant persona yeah um it, it is such uh moving on to like this other it, it's such a sh- short 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 moment in the film but i also believe that that is kind of the the affectation that Damon Wayans banana is also man. yeah oh, banana man right, credited yeah. as banana man yeah so we get a couple instances of that share 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 shares share, share. <laughs> <laughs> is actually I feel the least of those yeah right um 
so you know, le- not not to like hide a- hide from that. You know, there are those instances in the film, right, right, right. Um, but I've certainly seen movies that have gone way more aggressively. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, like, absolutely. In, in that, in that, just yeah. to like make a joke at others' expense. Sure, yeah. exactly. I mean, you know, getting back to kind of the nature of the depiction of Murphy. You know, it, in some ways, I don't know if this is like too much of a stretch, but it actually kind of reminds me of Sigourney Weaver and Alien. Hmm. Oh, because the process of how that role, it was just exactly this is the best person for this role. It's just yeah. this is the best person for the role. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, and especially like in that film as well. You know, when Dallas and all these other figures are like not listening to her when she's like literally the voice of reason, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily because she is a woman and mm-hmm. they're not listening to her. They're not listening to her because they're emotional. They, you know, like want to get. Um, are you laughing? What are I'm you laughing because uh, they didn't listen to her because this movie had to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the movie has to happen. If they just let, if she just kept them in quarantine for 24 hours, it'd be no movie. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, and it, so I feel like it's kind of in the same vein. Like again, mm-hmm. like I, I just appreciate that, even though they made the switch and. Um, you know, the lead no longer happens to be a white man. Like there was no real, like significant changes made to the script just to add in that layer. Like, I just, I don't know. I, it just, um, is something that I do think makes the film stand out for its yeah, time. I think there's a natural enhancement that happens there just by yep. them breaking the, the mold. Yep. That, I mean, we can, there, there, there are these after effects that, we sit with and we will, we still have to contemplate, but I, I like that they don't have to add, they didn't feel the need to add any mm-hmm. mustard to it, I guess. Totally agree with you. 100%. I mean, and also, you know, I actually really appreciate that there had, there didn't have to be this like, um, contrived romantic interest. I like mm. that it just stays like a friendship between him and Jenny. I will say that it would have been nice to maybe see a few more female faces. Um, in the, in the film, it's very male centric. Um, but you know, I don't know what the sitch was like at the Beverly Hills police department in 1984 and how many women were working there. (laughs) Um, so in any case, I wanted to take a quick moment just to recognize one of the most interesting characters in this movie. Okay. Inspector Todd. Ah, played played by Gilbert Hill, who, Mm -hmm. yeah, was the, was the chief of police for the city of Detroit. Oh, I mean, there was are... he the chief. I, 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 he was a tech. He was a detective, but yeah, yes, he, he was uh, a he real. Was a, yeah, detective later became the chief of police for the Detroit Police Department. Oh, he, wow. uh, you know, like most people in those kinds of positions, is not without his own scandals. Sure, but his credits are Beverly Hills Cop one, two, and three. <laughs> and he really was the chief of. So I thought I thought that was interesting, and I wanted to make sure that we brought that up, like. There, there's. I'm sure there's a lot more that uh, exists to learn about Mr. Hill, who who passed away. Okay. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was a kind of an interesting uh, component totally. of all the movies. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I mean, um, into you also because now, like you know, like want to definitely give due to everybody else. Um, you brought him up pretty early in the conversation, but Jonathan Banks. 
mm-hmm. um, who plays. I mean, it's kind of funny to me. I'm sorry. He doesn't look like a Zach to me. <laughs> he just doesn't. He doesn't look like a Zach at all. Hey, Zach, uh, come kill this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like, Zach, that's the name they landed on. Um, but uh, I mean, I, you know, you're like, yeah, he has hair. And I will be honest that it took me a second to remember that that's who that was mm. um, because he's had such an extraordinary later career, yep. um, you know, and I mean, I think that, you know, as much as like there are parts of the film that feel really fresh and kind of innovative for its time and it's fine. Like I'm fine with having the really obvious baddie who has like kind of like this mysterious accent and you know, he, and, like, I felt like he could also be like charged with trying to steal Rutger Hauer's DNA. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but between him and this like, you know, right hand Hitman, Zach, Zach man, Zach man. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's probably the more like formulaic part of the film. It, every eighties movie I, has like the bad guy who's like not really physically intimidating, but he's a mastermind. Damn it. Sure. And he's got the muscle. <laughs> Zach was just the muscle. The eighties muscle. muscle. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think Zach was supposed to be Sylvester Stallone's a uh, family member of his. Oh, if I okay. recall correctly. Got it. That okay, so that's interesting. But in terms of the formulaic element, it definitely feels like the indelible imprint of Stallone action movie Eastern European Betty. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So okay, so if I'm understanding this correctly, when Stallone was still signed on for this film, so he was gonna play the Foley character, but then part of the complication was going to be that he actually had family that was like on the other side of it. I I think that there were two other people in his circle that were tied to the film or tied to his because uh, he rewrote the film, as I understand it. Oh wow. Okay. I didn't uh, I didn't hmm. dive that deep. That's a great that's a great pull. To to make it more of an classic Stallone action movie sure. as opposed to an action comedy. So I, yeah, I, I don't, as far as I can recall from the little research that I did uh, the past week, it's, it seemed like he had some people tied to certain roles in the movie. Hmm. That would explain all the guys with machine guns that could not hit anything. <laughs> well, okay. So we'll, we'll Staple. Like, go there. Um, okay. So this like shootout. Um, I mean, it's very 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, the 80s. And Uzis yes. were just like, <laughs> mm, they're just like a perfect combination. Yeah, yeah, hand in hand. Um, I mean, I think that's the thing that, and again, you're, I, I totally agree with you. And t- I mean, I can suspend, you know, this sense of like, okay, this would just never happen <laughs> in this way. With like, <laughs> with fully being completely absolved of, of any, you know, aftermath of it he only right. shot the guys that deserved it right right <laughs> i mean so it's um i mean it's fun it, it is all leading up to this um you know i can appreciate it for what it is but again it's kind of an interesting um what's the word i'm looking for um bookend mm. in a way to to the way that the film opens with mikey's death because again not not as much, and especially like we're not really invested. Like we don't we we want to see Maitland get his due, 
and Zach and his two. Yeah. But yes, very brutal. Mm. And so when you were watching it, I mean, is that something that you clocked as well? Or is it because like it's part of this whole, you know, third act climax that it just seemed like, well, yeah, naturally that's what was going to happen. Um, it was shocking to me too, rewatching it. It was also shock, shocking to see that Bogomil was also there firing yes. five, six shots. <laughs> I, I, I wonder, I wonder why they needed that to have. Mm-hmm. Those bullets were burning a hole in his pocket for years. (laughs) He's been stuck behind that desk. Every five minutes, meet me in my office. He was just ready. He was ready for this moment. But to have the Beverly Hills chief, uh, not to mention like a white face and someone who's not the protagonist, be a participant in the climactic victory of the of the piece, I was curious to me. You bring up an excellent point. I, and it it was just, it was articulated really well because what I was thinking in that moment was more like, like, this is awkward. This is weird that all of a sudden he just like shows up behind Foley and is like freeze. I mean, it's just (laughs) so, there was a lot of, uh, freeze yeah i was like really in this moment as this is taking place you feel like that is the like appropriate you know responses to like just dart out of the hallway and say freeze but bargamel i mean like we're like way past yeah you hear the gunfire like i feel like you know that 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 was like several steps ago but what Um, if he heard billy outside and was inspired What if the the bad guys just hadn't heard it yet because there was so much gunfire? Sure. So Make now that they point. heard him say freeze, they're, they're like, like oh, 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 apologies. Yeah, let's, let's just hold <laughs> up me, here for a second. Let me lay down the gun. Um, no, but you bring up a good point. I mean, I and I don't want to play the game where I'm trying to justify that uh, choice. Um, I think that it absolutely would have had the impact the film needed to have to just have Axel be that sole gunman, I guess you would say taking out Maitland. Yeah. Um, and that to me seems to make the most sense because it was like, look, he was a bad guy. He deserved to be taken out, but also there was this personal emotional component to it I for mean, sure. He, he never actually got arrested or charged with anything. Yeah. 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 So I think that it absolutely would have made sense to just have Axel be that person at the end. The only thing I can think of, and really this is just, you know, me thinking about it um, because of of this point that you've raised, which I think is really interesting, is I don't know if, like, they needed him to come in as well to be more than just, you know, the chief who is barking at his staff to show that he also can like back it up. I don't know. And again, I'm now I'm playing this game. Mm. So I, I don't want to necessarily go down that route, but then also because of him, I, I think what's interesting is if he hadn't been there, would he have still told this elaborate lie? But because right. of his own involvement in it, he's he's very much protecting himself. He's, yeah, he's invested in maybe like, yeah, I'm not really interested in justifying like 
whatever their reasons were. But yeah. it, as as just coming in as a lay person seeing it, I guess that's one like possibility is that because he had skin in the game because he right. was involved in the shooting, then Axel knows that they're kind of in this together. Right. And then I don't know, like the the sequel came out pretty shortly after part one. Mm-hmm. There and like, they seem he, pretty tight. And he's yeah, he's like a a pretty critical character in the second one. Cause it's him almost getting killed mm-hmm. in a shootout. Mm-hmm. So yep. it, like that moment at the end of one kind of brings them together in a way that makes two a little bit mm-hmm. more compelling, mm-hmm. but it's still like the weird, th- th- there's like a weird odd, odd part to that white savior type deal going on. Yeah. And if I'm going to get saved by a white savior guy, I want him to have a cooler name than Bogomil. <laughs> Like but Billy? Billy. Yeah. Let's get Billy in there. Um, no, very good point. I mean, I have no idea if, to Derek's point, if they already were like, we know this is going to be a hit. We're setting this up for a sequel. Hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Some questions, I guess, we're just like probably not going to get the answers to. But I think that is very valid what you said about how it was like questionable and and unnecessary to have Bogomil be there, but I would have rather he tried to save him and Victor, like one of those things where he's got him and Eddie saves both. He like, we well, had Jenny. Hmm. Yeah. I want to see him do it again. And Jenny, you know, Jenny was a badass. <laughs> Jenny in one yeah. arm and Bogomil in the other arm. And the guy's just I, like, I got your friends. I also appreciate that. <laughs> Jenny fought back. You know, yeah, like yeah. he initially had her, you know, and she was like kind of in a tough spot. But as soon as she had her opening. Yeah, she went for it. She went she for it. She was a participant in her own salvation. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually really curious because as we were just like talking about this ending and how maybe kind of sort of it sets up the sequel. How familiar are you with the sequels, Inte? I I started watching two immediately after I finished one. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I didn't finish it. I didn't finish okay. it. But I'm I'm not as familiar with two and three as I am with one. Three is a whole different world, but two I think is still fun. Yeah. Mm. They three, retain that same sense of three, they're like, what if it was not funny at all? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no laughter. <laughs> Get that version. Not being familiar with it. Do they try and just fall flat on their face or do they just completely make it an action film as opposed to I, I think film. they just try to make it an action film. That's, mm. that's what I remember, but I haven't seen it. I I'm sure I've seen it at some point, but I haven't seen it in a really long time of the three. I've definitely seen one the most. Gotcha. And now I'm speaking a little bit out of turn because I have not seen three either, but you just don't like threes. You won't watch the Godfather three. Either. <laughs> I don't like threes. I usually don't like threes. It's very <laughs> true. You won't watch alien three. I, nope. Nope, I don't like it. Um, no, very true. I, from what I read, um, I mean, look, he was already a huge star, but like for sure, by the time Beverly Hills Cop 3 came around, Eddie Murphy was like, this is the type of film I want this to be. Yeah. Mm. And so from what I've read, he was the the main person behind the change in tone and oh. removing the comedy. I think it would have been amazing if he had taken that movie as the first opportunity to be like, I'm going to play eight different people in Beverly Hills. That would have been amazing. (laughs) That would have been really, really fun. That would have been incredible. I mean, I don't know if like, again, I don't, I really don't want to speak out of turn, but I think 
the impetus behind that is that he was like, I'm kind of sick of people just thinking me as this like comedic figure. Like mm-hmm. I want them to know I can kind of do straight work, yeah. you know, um, action, drama, that sort of thing. He totally mm-hmm. can. And he totally can. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't think there's like anything wrong with bringing into it the thing that like you are also really good at. You I know? would say if that's the direction you want to go, maybe a better way would just be like an original mm-hmm. storyline sure. mm-hmm. or something. But, right. You know, right. As, as instead of kind of a like continuation of changing what yeah. people enjoyed a big part exactly. of. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And also like without going too far down this rabbit hole, I don't really um like I'm a little bit fuzzy on the details because it's been around since I read this, but like so John Landis mm-hmm. yeah, directed was, the third. There was something going and there on. was yeah, there's been um tension. Conflict. Conflict uh, between (laughs) Murphy. Landis and Murphy. Yeah. 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 Um, Because of the whole Twilight Zone thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, Murphy wasn't willing to like go to bat because he's like, no, it was it was a mistake that resulted in people's lives. Like, I'm not going to pretend it was otherwise. Yeah. Mm. Um, Nor should anybody. No, no. Yeah. That's a whole thing. But um, but getting back <laughs> as, a, as a cop, as a quick aside, I think yeah. I read somewhere that Landis saw the script for uh, Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Beverly Hills Cop one, okay. and said it was one of the worst scripts going around Hollywood, and it was only saved by Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy. Okay, that's I, a huge compliment. I'm not gonna yeah. disagree with him yeah. necessarily there because yeah. he Eddie Murphy does make that movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, we, I mean, I brought up earlier kind of where I maybe stand on how strong the plot of the movie is and the fact that there's a lot of kind of obviousness (laughs) of where we're going with it. Um, But... Hello, my name is Victor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm a villain. You're like, okay, well. Um, But it's all these other little things and some big things, like Eddie Murphy, you know, like he absolutely carries this movie, but also really strong casting just in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then these like quieter moments that I think really give like some, you know, they, they buoy the film in terms of like that, that really strong friendship we get to see at the beginning. It's and not the first movie we've seen where without like a particular casting decision, totally. or, you know, like for, for some reason, dead men don't wear plaid always comes sure. to mind where it, it exists only to like do this little trick that they do mm-hmm. over and over again. So each, each like portion of the movie is just like a bit that they get to play through. Yeah. And yeah. In some ways, that's a little bit how I felt about Beverly Hills Cop, where each scene is an opportunity for Eddie Murphy to kind of do mm-hmm. his thing. Mm-hmm. And he enhances like literally everything that he's in, mm-hmm. every moment mm-hmm. of the movie. Yep. And without that, you know, it probably would have fallen a bit flat. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, I, I, I would be curious to see. I wonder how much code switching was part of the original story. Mm. Um, and we've talked a little bit about the stumbles there. Um, but I, I, I can't imagine that a Sylvester Stallone led Mm. Beverly Hills cop would have involved so much code switching or, Mm -hmm. um, these about faces of characters. I just, I just wonder how much of that was on the page and how much of that was just discovered through the hours, the hundreds and hundreds of takes apparently of improv. (laughs) 
Wow. Yeah. When you think of it, I mean, just out of curiosity, like where do you feel like you have a sweet spot when it comes to like takes? Do you feel like, like, are you kind of like, oh, I like first take, I'm fresh, I'm, or do you need a couple takes to kind of like settle into the scene? Do you get to a point where like, like what's, I, I asked this actually in our last episode, because I'm just very curious. Do you, do you have a, a memory of like the, the most takes that you ever had to do for a scene? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, I'm, there have been self tapes where I've done okay, like I think eighty something was the most takes of a self tape I've tried. Um, but I haven't quite met that kind of Fincher esque director that has mm. the Fincher, that has yeah. the time, <laughs> energy, or budget to deal with eighty takes. I think the most that I, I uh, to answer the first question, I unless it's people, unless it's friends of mine that I've worked with before, I usually feel more comfortable a few takes in. Got it. Um, but uh, the most, I guess, demanding director from that sense, the the most I've done a scene is probably. Well, if we're including coverage, hmm. well, if we're including coverage, it's probably 25, 30 times. So a oh, lot. Wow. Okay. A lot. So it gets to a point of diminishing returns, I think. Sure. There. But yep. Um, for, for me, I'll, I'll try and give everything, whether it's my coverage or not, just because that's what's fun for me. <laughs> I think what most people don't realize is that we actually do multiple takes of this podcast <laughs> ah. and we're just about done with this first take and we're just going to start all over. Yeah. 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 For those who will be yeah. able to hear it, yeah. um, sign up for uh, sign up for eighties movie montage pro. Yeah. You'll get to see <laughs> hear all the outtakes. Follow us on Patreon. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really a 36 hour podcast and we just, you know, grab the best takes people are all about it I, yeah. i'm sure they're clamoring for more yeah i mean look in all on like joking aside i think part of what this film does and what i truly truly do recognize is just how impactful a particular actor can be on material yeah and and really how lovely it is when somebody can feel free enough to bring to the material what they do best because as we've talked about now throughout this this conversation is Murphy bringing to it the only things that Eddie Murphy could do you know in terms of the way that he improvs and just his you know the way that he can flow between different types of tone between comedy and seriousness and that whole thing so um you know, of course, like one thing that I really stand by when we talk about any film, and that's why we always, um, you know, open up our episodes talking about like some of the other main players besides cast. Um, so I really do believe it's a collaborative medium. But, hmm. uh, you know, when you get the right actor in there, you know, like I don't disagree with John Landis. Like I can't say that I know what the script was. <laughs> you know, but but yeah, I mean, he really knocks it out of the park, and no wonder that off of this role he became just a huge superstar so um i really enjoyed it and i'm really and thank you for picking this film in tay because this was like a really fun film to revisit and uh you know as what 
usually happens when we have really amazing guests on. They bring to us perspectives that like I hadn't even thought about. So, so just thank you so very much. Thank you. It's been lovely. It's been a great time. It's been a great time. And, you know, opened it up, introducing you as an actor. I'm so happy to hear like now that things are kind of getting back to a normal place in the world, um, that projects are happening, bookings are happening, you know, gigs are happening. And so just best of luck as, you know, we all kind of come back into normalcy of production. And again, just thank you so much for being with us today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you guys for hosting this. Thank you guys for inviting me to partake in this. It's been, it's been a joy to listen to, and it's been a joy to partake today. So, Isn't he so great? That was awesome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we had so much fun. I love that. Okay, so yeah. I'm actually kind of curious. Like, Would you watch this film again? Is this something that you would sit down and just be like, okay, I'm going to watch Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah, if it's on, I'll just I'll I'll watch it for sure. I don't know I don't know how many steps I'm gonna take. To track to it down, it you mean? Yeah, to track it down. And but now I think I, I may be inspired to watch the uh second one. Mm. I might even watch the third okay. one. Because I okay. have no memory of ever watching Beverly Hills Cop Three. I, I probably have at some point. I don't remember it. But yeah, I I like these. It's like when I think of Eddie Murphy kind of at his best, I do go all the way back to these movies Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. I think, you know, he, there's like a, an understated or underappreciated sense of how difficult it probably would be to be in something that both has like kind of lighthearted comedy Mm -hmm. and like really tough action scenes. Mm -hmm. So I think he does such a great job of it. That's, that's part of why like, these movies are are just classics in my mind. Yeah. I mean, while the film might like really run the gamut tonally, he handles yeah. all the situations really well. Yeah. Like he can do comedy as well as he does kind of serious work. Like when he's having the conversation with Jenny and telling her that their friend died, you know, and like having that conversation, like he can handle serious moments incredibly well. And he also can handle action incredibly well. I think the most fictionalized aspect of the entire movie is where I'm led to believe that the Beverly Hills Police Department does everything specifically by the book. <laughs> well, I mean, I was saying this last night. We were watching. I was like, he would be getting in. So, I mean, he, yeah. would ha- he would have his badge stripped. <laughs> yeah. And he would be in big, big trouble oh, yeah. for for everything that he did. Yeah. So there'd be no, like, off the hook in real life for yeah. that. It, it was, well, I'll just say... It was interesting watching the all of the police interactions mm-hmm. as they were portrayed in this movie through the lens of what we've seen even more recently within yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Call to action. I mean, I already gave mine. It's have you ever fallen for a banana in the tailpipe? <laughs> I asked you. Now I'm asking everyone. <laughs> Well, the thing that, okay, so like, this is just such an aside. It's happened to someone. But, well, you know what I was told actually by my father once upon a time is that like what used to be a thing, which is like nobody, okay, putting, don't do this people, don't do this thing, but like sugar. Oh yeah, don't do and that. And the gas tank. Yeah. And actually he, as a kid growing up, knew of that happening. Like between, like he used to tell me how like his high school, like the rival team, like they would do that to each other's buses and stuff. And I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, but yeah, that's, that's as close as I can get. That kills the to, car. Right. 
like immediately. So yeah. like, please, please, please don't do that stuff. But uh, that's as close as I can get to banana in the tailpipe. Hmm. I mean, I don't know if this call to action is like, what are ways in which you've uh, How compromised? How have you disabled vehicles? Yeah. <laughs> Let but- us know all the ways you know how to disable a vehicle. <laughs> But if you'd like to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out through Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And the handle is the same for all three. It is at 80s Montage Pod, and 80s is 80s. All right. Okay. Next movie. I, I mean, this just happened to come down the pipeline organically. Like, we didn't, like, choose for it to happen this way. But it is kind of funny, the relationship between these two films. Please it, tell me you remember. It's RoboCop, there you right? Go, yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked. <laughs> but when you were looking at him, I'm like, wait a second. I thought it was RoboCop, but. Well, yeah, because first of all, two films in a row about cops. Yeah. So there's that, even in the title. And then the Detroit connection. Yeah, I think that there's going to be, like, I, I haven't seen the original RoboCop in a really long mm-hmm. time. I'm kind of curious to see just how crazy it is. Cause I, I remember what I remember when I first saw it was just how like hilariously hyper violent it is. Mm-hmm. So buckle up for that. It's going to be, that's going to be crazy. I don't know when the last time was that you saw it. Uh, I couldn't even begin to tell you. Yeah. Like I, I'm going to, I'll be honest. Like I'm going to go into that movie. I, I was definitely pretty cold. Way right? more, yeah. I was way more familiar with Beverly Hills cop and even this film. Yeah. It had been a minute no, since ex- I watched it. So like RoboCop, exactly. I don't know. Uh, no, exactly. Like I, it's uh, these movies that like we know because we yeah. have seen them, but it's been a really long time. And exactly what you said. Like, I feel like I remembered Beverly Hills cop, mm-hmm. but watching it last night, I realized, wow, it has been a while. Mm-hmm. So I, I can only imagine how many things are going to pop up in RoboCop where I'm like, holy shit, I don't remember this. So on that note, thank you so much for hanging with us. And we are super excited to chat with you again in two weeks with RoboCop. <laughs>